0: Are you having a hard time figuring out which day it is? Well, let me remind you, it's Friday. And that means it's time for our Friday News Roundup when we break down some of the biggest local and state news of the week.
2: Today, Governor J.B. Pritzker announced the stay-at-home order will be extended for another month.
3: Nearly 37,000 people have tested positive for the virus in Illinois and nearly 1,700 have died. If we start to see crowds and people violating the order or breaking the rules, I will need to bring back these restrictions.
2: Tensions rising after Mayor Lightfoot asked for emergency powers for COVID-19 expenses without council approval. If we wait, we lose. We can't afford to lose. Our residents' lives are on the line, and we've got to move quickly in this pandemic.
0: Joining me now to talk about it all, ProPublica Illinois reporter and columnist Mick Dumkey. Hey, Mick.
1: Good morning, or I guess it's afternoon now. Sorry. It is afternoon. Well, 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 our sense of timing is off for all of us. I think
0: <laughs> just by a few minutes. Also with us, NBC Five political editor Carol Marine. Carol, welcome back.
2: Hello, Jim. Thank you.
0: So yesterday, Governor JB Pritzker announced that he's extending Illinois' stay-at-home order through May. Let's take a quick listen.
3: Next week, I intend to sign an extension of our stay-at-home order with some modifications through saturday may 30th this is the part where we have to dig in and we have to understand that the sacrifices that we've made as a state to avoid a worst case scenario are working and we need to keep going a little while longer to finish the job
0: carol talk about some of the major changes to our current stay-at-home order
2: well part of this uh, Jen, is that its expansion though it's given a little leeway to some businesses, to some golf courses, that sort of thing. The expansion simply means that the gravity of this is deeper and wider than we had hoped it might be. And truthfully, it could be in June. He could be revising this again. Mm -hmm.
0: So some of the things we're we're seeing, state parks and golf courses are are beginning a phased reopening, will be required to wear face masks in public spaces where social distancing is difficult uh, schools may allow students to pick up belongings. Mick, what stood out for you and and what's prioritized in this expansion?
1: Well, what stood out for me is just the overall uh, approach, which I think Carol was getting at, which is he's trying to uh, give a little bit of sweet with the uh, bitter news here of the extension of the stay-at-home order. So by easing some of the restrictions, you mentioned a lot of people have been talking about (laughs) on both sides about golfing. Uh, Somehow this has become very symbolic or emblematic for a lot of people it seems to touch nerves on different sides but you know the fact is uh, now that on may 1st uh, golf courses will be allowed to open with you know regulations or rules to try to keep people apart but i think like gardening businesses are opening some state parks are going to start to open so i think it's just you know the situation is very serious we're supposedly at or near the peak but if you think about what that means, uh, we've been at the stay-at-home order for, what, about five weeks now? And so if we're kind of at the center of this, that means at least another five weeks coming down. Um, so I just see it as the governor saying this is still serious. We've got to continue to stick to uh, you know, these restrictions, but we're going to try to make life a little bit easier around the edges at the same time.
0: Well, Governor Pritzker says the state won't hit its peak until next month, as you mentioned, Mick. But experts say that widespread testing is really the key to containing the virus. Carol, what's the latest on testing in the state?
2: That it's amping up, that you've got a bunch of private labs that are doing more of it. The cautionary thing here, Jen, about testing, and you hear a lot about, about antibody testing. If people want to go in to find out if they did have it. I happen to be one of those people. I think I had it in February and called it the flu. But as my own doctor will say, there are a raft of antibody tests and I don't recommend a single one of them to you because they're not good enough yet. So testing on the one hand sounds like an answer, but what's really an answer is a vaccine. Well, Mick, talk
0: about the impact we're seeing on the state's economy at this point. We know it's, it's been pretty dire news um, in Illinois.
1: Yeah, it's dire everywhere, I think. Uh, the governor gave um, at least some early estimates about how uh, we're a couple more billion dollars in the hole, it's looking like uh, for this year. And, you know, those numbers are just counting. It's like the, um, you know, the ticker keeps rolling. The, uh, the the You know, like when you're in a cab, it's like the, the fares keep going up. And so the longer this goes on, obviously, the worse the impact. I think the other interesting part of that, Jen, is that you're starting to see, The politics of reopening the state and reopening the state's economy, you're starting to see those, uh, some of the political discussions, heighten a little bit. Mostly to this point, everyone has wanted to be on Team Illinois and just saying we're all in this together. We want to save lives. And not that people are saying they don't want to save lives, but you're starting to hear particularly some of the more conservative lawmakers uh, outside of the Chicago region saying, um, look, we're at this point in time facing more damage from the uh, economic mess we're in than we are from the virus. And we've got to really start to, to do something. So it's very interesting. I think there's a lawmaker who you know, introduced a uh, piece of legislation that would require the governor to uh, get General Assembly approval if he extends the order again. Uh, things like that are starting to percolate, which is, I think, really worth watching.
0: And Carol, talk about the governor's argument here that, that it's important to keep the state as a whole, you know, pretty much shut down because, you know, if if someone in a neighboring town that doesn't have, you know, many cases or any cases, it, it doesn't mean that people can't travel to that place if they're infected. So talk a little bit about where Governor Pritzker's thinking is on this.
2: Well, he, I think he is trying to hang on to some sort of coherent plan because if you begin to list this quarantine on Quincy, but you don't on Granite City, then you have, end up having a really uneasy patchwork. And as, as you suggest, there are no walls, no fences between these communities. I was downstate just recently talking to a, a downstate mayor, west, far west mayor, and they don't have many cases. And it's driving them crazy. And Main Street is shut down. And so you can understand their fear, their concern, and their anguish. Pritzker is trying to keep that anguish in some sort of uh, compassionate uh, limits. That's been difficult for him. It's difficult for Lightfoot. It's difficult for all of them. Well, last week,
0: Illinois announced a partnership with six other Midwest states to to safely open the regional economy. But at the same time, states like Georgia and Tennessee are significantly easing restrictions. So, Carol, how does what's happening in another state, how can that impact us here in Illinois?
2: Well, because we're porous, because our boundaries are porous. Because I I have a friend who said to me, as a very rational, well-informed friend, That She was thinking if Indiana opens up further, she'll go get her hair done in Indiana and come back home. Now, you can't do that, but that is sort of the situational logic that we as humans sometimes engage in, and what Pritzker and others are having to do is to be the, the dad of the family, if it were, and say you're still on curfew, you're still grounded.
0: Well, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said in a recent interview that states should be able to declare bankruptcy to help deal with the COVID-19 outbreak. And here's a bit of
3: Governor Pritzker's response. The cost of borrowing, the cost of doing business, it goes way up. Um, the much beyond where uh, we are now we would be paying interest at usurious rates Uh, our state would be in a world of hurt people wouldn't want to do business in fact with a state that's gone through bankruptcy with the idea that well if you've gone through it once you might go through it again Uh, and the fact is states are not allowed to uh, declare bankruptcy and it's a good thing
0: make unpack that a little bit for us what did you think about the governor's response there
1: well, this is a, a classic um, local official versus federal official, or, or uh, you know, congressional official kind of debate, um, and it of course breaks down along party lines a lot of time. Uh, who is going to help out local government and? Uh, You know, for years, the federal government has essentially been slicing the kind of aid that it sends to states and and to cities, whether it's in block grants or or other kinds of funding. And so it's funny, I think probably all of us have have heard or seen, next to Mr. Rogers, Rahm Emanuel has been one of the most quoted people the last few weeks because of this comment he made uh, some years ago during the economic collapse, you never let a serious crisis go to waste which is talking, of course, about the politics. You, you seize the opportunity when you can to get things done. And I think that's what the backdrop is to this debate over how to help skates, where uh, you know Mitch McConnell, after I think there's been, what, four rounds already of um, federal stimulus money that has been uh, authorized by Congress uh, so far related to the coronavirus outbreak, and uh, yet, you know, that's probably not going to be enough to, to help the economy. So here you have uh, the governor of Illinois, some governors of other states saying, hey, we are going to need more direct help to our government because we're hurting, too. It's not just private businesses. And you have Mitch McConnell already saying, we've spent too much. We can't just keep, you know, issuing more and more checks, um, That's just not surprising, given sort of the political, the way this falls out politically, even long before the pandemic.
0: You're listening to the Friday News Roundup here on Reset when we break down the biggest news of the week. Our panel today, Carol Marine of NBC5 and Mick Dumkey of ProPublica, Illinois. Some other stories we're following today. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot has tapped 15 people to serve on a COVID-19 recovery task force. The group will study the economic damage done by the coronavirus pandemic and help the city come up with a recovery plan. And the second round of the NFL draft is tonight. The Bears are slated to pick twice in this round and seven Times overall. This year's draft is virtual, and Bears General Manager Ryan Pace says he has multiple screens set up in his dining room. So, speaking of multiple screens, uh, on Wednesday, City Council held its meeting via Zoom. Carol, talk about some of what emerged in that meeting.
2: Well, what emerged, you know, you have the Progressive Caucus, and uh, while they are a minority, most of them are new aldermen, and, you know, they come from uh, largely minority neighborhoods, and so they ended up in a skirmish with Mayor Lightfoot because she is asking for far-expanded powers that further uh, reduce uh, the council's legislative prerogatives, and so there was pushback. Mayor Lightfoot really got angry in a way that I I think I understand her anger, and I realize that she is managing a crisis, but there's a reason there's a legislature, and it's that they get to vote for their neighborhoods. She basically implied that her government is saving lives and these are uh, obstructionists and grandstanders. Um, we've seen this kind of, of quick, angry response from the mayor. And while on one level you can understand it, on another, it's very Rich daily and Rahm Emanuel-like, a comparison that she would not like.
0: Well, the measure to expand Lightfoot's spending powers for the city's pandemic response is expected to be approved today. Just help us understand a little bit more about what powers this would grant the mayor.
2: So it would allow the mayor um, to grant contracts um, almost up to a million dollars. The limits on those were uh, far more restrictive before. So she would have spending authorization power on things that otherwise the uh, council would have to vote on. And while this ordinance would sunset, she says, within the next few months it wouldn't be permanent, I think some of the pushback uh, was not completely irrational. Some of it was that there are some real foes of hers in that Progressive Caucus, Uh, but she's asking for the ability, the authorization, uh, to spend money and make plans without going back to the council periodically to say, is this okay? Okay.
0: Now, Mick, you recently reported on leaked recordings of Mayor Lightfoot and her aides briefing aldermen on the city's pandemic response. Let's listen uh, to a clip of that.
1: My question is that uh, we're about two days from the first of the month, rent being due, five days to the latest. Can we get regular um, or potentially daily updates as our communications with the state as it pertains to rent or mortgage freezes? Because I've got people ready to rent strike, so I need to figure out what's going on. I'm not sure how to respond to your
2: your question. Uh, we'll, we'll talk to you about that offline. i am not sure that's okay. possible. Right. As you might imagine, the governor has, in his team, have a range of different priorities that are going on, as do we, and to take time to do a daily update on probably hundreds of conversations that are taking place.
0: Place. The voices you heard there were Alderman Andre Vasquez of the 40th Ward speaking with Mayor Lightfoot. You know, Mick, we heard Carol describing a little bit about the relationship that's emerging between the mayor and city council right now. What did these tapes reveal about what's happening?
1: Well, as you may have gotten a little sense of that back and forth, they revealed to me uh, that Mayor Lightfoot really was in control of all of the, not, not just the city's operations, which is to be expected, but the information about what the city was doing. You had, in these briefings, the recordings basically take us behind the curtain. Um, and you had aldermen uh, sometimes who didn't show up for the briefings. You had some aldermen who didn't have a single question. And then you had others who had questions, like Alderman Vazquez, and when he asked them, he, he was basically saying, can we get updates on what the state and the city are talking about doing to help people with rent and mortgages? You know, the mayor said, basically, I don't have time for this. And so in a lot of instances, she was clipped. She, was, uh, she basically would come back and say, you know, that information is available on our website. And it just struck me that here you have 50 elected officials. And I know there's an ongoing debate among Chicagoans about Uh, the city council and aldermen and all that but they are local elected officials and you know as recently as last week a lot of them didn't have a sense of what the city was doing in their own communities i think the political implications of that are a mayor who has uh, is gaining in power uh, which some people will celebrate and obviously what we saw this week as i think carol was discussing a lot of aldermen are pushing back on very strongly and saying, hey, this is supposed to be a democracy. And Mayor Lightfoot, do you remember when you campaigned as a progressive? This isn't a very progressive way of doing business, even during a crisis.
0: I mean, Carol, what do you think this could mean for the long-term relationship between Mayor Lightfoot and the city council? Because uh, as as Mick is saying there, if this relationship is is taking form, and let's be clear, you know, Mayor Lightfoot came in with very strong opinions about how city council should use its power and how much power they should actually have. But are we seeing a a recasting of this relationship that could last beyond the pandemic?
2: You know, the question gets asked with every mayor and every council, and the fact is that the city council still is more likely to be a rubber stamp majority uh, with a vocal minority. The thing about Lightfoot to think about is, and she was asked recently about whether Freedom of Information Act requests were being blocked or honored and and she sort of lashed out and said essentially I'm saving lives my staff doesn't have time to do those things all the time right now when they fired the information officer in the city law department and reporters asked questions she lashed out he's your buddy Uh, which in fact he wasn't so she's got a very quick trigger she's a former federal prosecutor and there is a kind of righteousness about them. And while she has a very hard job, and the truth is she is about the business of saving lives right now, um, she can be extremely dismissive.
0: Well, there were a couple of other pieces of business. Uh, The city council approved David Brown as the CPD superintendent. Mayor Lightfoot also introduced a lobbying ordinance that would allow elected officials from outside Chicago to lobby the city as long as there's no conflict of interest. Uh, Quickly remind us, uh, Mick, about our new CPD superintendent,
1: David Brown. Uh, Well, he comes from Dallas. A lot of people were very impressed by uh, not just his work there, but his personal story Having been a longtime law officer, Um, uh, his own son was uh, involved in a police shootout at one point in time. I think his partner was killed in a police shootout. And he just really has gotten very high marks coming in about his ability to uh, not just do the law enforcement part of the job, but the communications part of the job, which, as we know in Chicago, has been um, a real issue for the last, uh, well, how many superintendents do you care to go back? Uh, The relationship with the community and, of course, Chicago under a federal consent decree and lagging behind in its timetable to comply with uh, some of the the issues that have been brought up on that consent decree. So he's got a lot of work ahead of him, but so far people uh, just really seem to like his demeanor and his way of uh, interacting.
0: It's the Friday News Roundup here on Reset. Our panel today includes Mick Dumkey of ProPublica, Illinois, and Carol Marine of NBC5. Carol, really quickly, this lobbying ordinance that the mayor introduced, give us the details on that.
2: You know, Jen, this is one of those things that I'm going to cede to Mick Dumkey because I am not expert on that.
1: Ah, Mick, you want to tackle this one? (laughs) I don't know if I'd call myself an expert on either, but the bottom line, as I understand it, is that... Over the last several years, former Mayor um, Emanuel as well as uh, Mayor Lightfoot uh, and the city council have advanced um, and put into place a number of restrictions on lobbying. And one of them was a restrictions basically on elected officials' ability to lobby at the city council. For obvious reasons, because of the many scandals, the uh, federal investigations swirling around here about people wearing various hats um, as lawyers, as lobbyists, and as elected officials supposedly representing the public while they're doing all these other things. So this latest initiative actually eases some of the restrictions because um, apparently there was a realization or a thinking that, that it might be unfair to elected officials from other parts of the state. So people who aren't necessarily representing uh, Chicagoans or people in the Chicago area but may come to Chicago uh, in the form of of lobbying for someone that they, they should be allowed to do that because there's no, not necessarily a clear conflict of interest. If you're an official from another part of, of, Illinois, but you're, you know, have this other job working as a lobbyist here, as I understand it, it's, it's fairly narrow in the way it's easing it, but to all those who are interested in this, I think it's just something to watch again, given the relationship between the city council and the mayor and, everybody claiming that they are in favor of reform. Uh, So let's see how this one plays out.
0: So we've got about a minute and a half left, but I want to quickly touch on something else. Chicago public schools began remote learning last week, but on Wednesday, District CEO Janice Jackson said this may be the new normal even in the fall. Carol, how is this issue unfolding?
2: Oh, it's unfolding everywhere, Jen. I'm on the faculty of the journalism school at DePaul, and we don't know if we are going to be back in class in the fall. They're efforting it mightily, but this is everywhere, public schools, private schools, higher education, um, grammar school to high school. And so it, this is a step-by-step, day-by-day, and all of us are learning how to do it well, but it's been brutal on the students because it, nothing sort of replaces a classroom and sort of a humanity of a classroom. So I think, I think we will not know to use mixed words. This is something we're going to have to watch because it will change on a a weekly, if not daily basis, what we have the capacity to do to teach.
0: Well, Mick, as a backdrop to this, uh, this week, ProPublica Illinois and the Chicago Tribune published an investigation that found many Illinois school districts were unprepared to roll out e-learning plans for students in case of emergency. What can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah, you, you nailed it. Um, uh, my colleague Jody Cohen and Jennifer Smith Richards from the Tribune did a really great story where they, they basically uh, talked to regional school superintendents all over the state. And, and what they found is essentially that even though there have been um, uh, rules in place to, to tell school districts to get ready for e learning, whether it's uh, for short term emergencies or a snowstorm or whatever. Uh, kind of contingency situations, the truth is that basically only one in four districts around the state were ready to go when this latest crisis happened. And so, you know, as we, I think all of us keep saying, no one could have foreseen exactly what's ended up unfolding during this pandemic. But here's an instance of uh, yet again, public institutions in this case, uh, local schools that were supposed to at least have some, some rough kind of plans in place and they weren't ready to do that. So the percentage, the batting average there is is very low.
0: Well, we'll tweet out a link to that story at WBEZ Reset. But we've got to wrap there. That's it for the Friday News Roundup. Thanks to our panel today, NBC5 political editor Carol Marine, also with us, Republican Illinois reporter and columnist Mick Dumpke. Carol, Mick, thanks so much for joining us and have a safe weekend. You too.
2: Thank you. You too.
0: And that's it for today's Reset. Tune in to 91.5 or go to wbez.org for the latest updates on the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm Jen White. Have a good weekend. Stay safe. Take a walk if you can. And let's talk again soon.
1: At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind.